what she did was she came back to the U.S. and formed a company that distributed Moringa medication. And she is a millionaire just now. <laughs> welcome and welcome back to our podcast. This is Next Up Africa Season 2, Episode 9. My name is Benita. I'm from Rwanda. And I'm here with your favorite host, Emiki Koma. He's from Congo. And today we are blessed to be with Team Next Top Africa, Luden from Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Malik from South Sudan, and representing Kenya. And we have special guests with us. The first one being Dr. Marcy Asiedu, the co-founder and CEO of Gap Health. She's from Ghana. We do have Bai Bintu Keira co-founder and CEO of The Gap Health, and she's from Gambia. So before we begin, um, Amy, do you have any updates or anything you'd like to share with us? Um, Not specifically. Just been following, really, what's happening in Ukraine. Just the racism <laughs> that's taking place over there. It's pretty much like the only news that I follow. Yeah. I saw apparently, if it's true, I don't know, but um, Nigeria kind of banned Nigerians from going to fight if they wanted to join the military. I mean, I, I doubt anybody's <laughs> going to willingly go join the Ukrainian military. No, some people, are, um, yeah. no, because what, what, what threw me off the most was the Syrian trying to join um, the Russian military. I was like, seriously. But you never know. <laughs> you never know. Um, so we're just going to jump into our episode today, which is basically uh, surrounded on healthcare system in African countries. And one of the questions is going to be stemmed from a quote that I found in one of the UN reports which they say that every year lack of access to basic health care, mostly caused by poor funding, contributes to the million of death, untold suffering, and harrowing health tragedies in the African continent. So I know most of us have lived on the African continent and we're from Africa. Um, I wanted to know what are some prevalent issues have you personally experienced or even heard of when it comes to healthcare system in your respective country or other African countries that you have lived in? I think like uh, outdated equipment, probably like a uh, lack of variety of medical specialties, um, probably lack of appropriate facilities. I think things like that. I think those are like some of the biggest things that, I could think of off the top of my head. Bintu, do you have any experience in that? Uh, absolutely. I, I grew up in Gambia till I was 19 before moving to Canada. And some of the prominent examples or how that translated to starting gap health was my mother's diabetic condition and how most of the time we would have to go to a specialty in Senegal to for her to get the best treatment. And even through that process, it was on us to keep track of her medical records through doing at-home tests, but also some of the results that she would do in specialized lab in Senegal. So that we, not everybody is able to go to a different country to be able to access the health you need. And in between, if you have challenges, then it's not, you know, you just don't get there in an hour. It's a drive or a flight to get there. So there's that limited access and even people that have the means to be able to pay for it have less variety of care yeah definitely definitely uh malik what is your experience and your knowledge uh well if i'm to speak of uh, south sudan in particular there's misdiagnosis especially when it comes to sicknesses i've seen a lot of cases where somebody could have um a totally different let's say sickness but the results usually come back as malaria and typhoid because that's prevalent in the country, you know. So it always comes back as malaria, typhoid. And if you bring them to other places like Kenya, they'll find that they had some serious illnesses. And sometimes it's too late to, you know, um, to treat 
those sicknesses because of the time that was delayed. Um, I could also speak of lack of funds, and I believe Amy um, mentioned that. Um, a lot of uh, facilities in Africa are not well-funded, and that sometimes prevents, let me say, well-educated doctors that you know should be bringing back the knowledge back home. You know, it prevents them from coming back home because they don't have the facilities or the equipment that they need to practice you know, what they've learned abroad or in other places. Um, I could also talk of uh, poor funding by the governments. Um, I think you shared something um, in the group that uh, a lot of, let me say, countries in Africa hardly allocate enough funds for, I mean, to the healthcare systems or to, you know, like in the in the, in the countries. And I, I think that's true and it's common in Africa. You'll find them spending on other things, let's say fancy cars for the ministers and whatnot, but there's hardly anybody spending on healthcare. Nobody's building new hospitals or improving and upgrading the the, the facilities in these uh, medical uh, medical hospitals and whatnot. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You've touched like key points. Uh, like everyone here is like hitting the. <laughs> they say you're hitting the nail on the head. Like those are like most prominent. I can also add on to lack of strong regulation when it comes to like a med- medicine usage. One of my interest is in uh, drug resistant bacteria and knowing how like Africans um, can easily access like antibiotics anywhere. And a lot of them, they're not really educated on the actual usage and dosage that's supposed to be taking. And even a little kid, as long as you have money, you can get antibiotics and then you don't know like the timing you're supposed to be taking in, how much you need. And if you don't take enough, you're increasing your risk of now being susceptible to like drug resistant bacteria is another issue that I have seen. Also, one of you spoke about not having like enough strong like medical facilities to be able i think being to say like you have to travel to from gambia to go to senegal to get treatment it's a way prominent um especially when we even look at our presidents or any minister a lot of them have to go all the way to other europe or come to us or go to canada in order for them to get like any treatment but not everyone is able to afford those type of conditions for them to be able to stay healthy. And another issue that I have seen is that there's some medical conditions that are still just being like shamed upon or generalized, like any uh, mental health condition, most of the time they just be like, oh, you're going crazy or you have been bewitched. Um, So there's that lack of strong emphasis from like the healthcare system, like administrators to make sure that the population is aware. And there's also like proper system and treatment available for patients who are experiencing those type of issues. And I had a clear, one example, like to back up on Maliki's experience on misdiagnosis. So most of the time, people who are in East Africa, that is especially like Rwanda, Uganda, I say Kenya, there's a lot of malaria and typhoid incidences. So some people get misdiagnosed, consider it a malaria, consider it a typhoid when it's a different sickness. But there's also most of the time where malaria and typhoid is being missed. Um, a lot of the time when one of my family member goes to any government clinic, they will have clear symptoms of typhoid or malaria, but they will never ever come up with uh, testing positive. But if they're to go to the private clinic nearby, they'll be diagnosed with malaria or typhoid and then they will get proper treatment. So there's there's something missing that, re- that needs to be addressed when it comes to like the way the healthcare is being organized in run in different countries. Um, And this is not just like our own countries. It stems from different countries. I've been in Morocco, I've been in Senegal, also like sometimes it's the same issue. And 
one of the things that I found on the UN is that majority of these questions that we're addressing, they're coming from one single problem, which is lack of funding. Um, according to the World Health Organization, this is a pledge that they made in 2001. They said that African countries carry 25% of the world disease burden, but its share of global health expenditure is less than 1%. And the worst case scenario is that we're only manufacturing less than 2% of the medicine being used on the continent. So a lot of this medicine that we're being that we're even using on a the continent, they're not from our own manufacturers. And some of them, based on the information I've heard, they come in almost expiring. So that could also pose an issue because the government is not really like controlling and managing what kind of medicine are being put out for the public to use. Do you guys have any other additional? points to in terms of like what we've experienced or mm-hmm. like no i mean i think like uh, i'm i mean i don't want to speak for everybody but i think like you know overall i think the experiences could be shared similarly throughout the entire continent you know um and again just to speak a little bit more towards what malik was saying i think emphasizing like uh funding i think that's like the biggest biggest issue money is always the biggest issue in africa i think if that's fixed then it'll kind of trickle down all the way through um there's this interesting book that i had read called dead aid i don't know if any of you have read it but it just talks about how aid is being used specifically africa and how funding is part of the problem but it's not the only problem right so there's that accountability and mm. making sure it's like tailored so just don't give people money because you know all these funding organizations have been doing that for quite a while and we haven't seen that reflection in the gdp but using it to have value added manufacturing and having it tailored for africa for example you had mentioned the medications are imported how can we make sure we are self-reliant and can make our own mm. that's of quality, of standard, and could be used by people? But it also creates that ripple effect of added jobs as a result of it. And when people have jobs, they have increased in spending power and as a result, improves their community. So it has these ripple effects if funding is used right. Mm-hmm. And another thing is accountability. Who's the funding going to? Who are they accountable to? and which sort of ties into government and which I don't get in, want to get into specifically, but I think it's just <laughs> having good self-governance and um, accountability to the funds with mm-hmm. the realities that we know. And something that I also wanted to add was having it more culturally tailored, right? So mm-hmm. instead of like replicating the technology that works really well in developing countries and just using it in Africa, consider sort of alternative energy and what parts do you need? Can we source that there? And if not, are we able to create those supply chain that way it's robust and dependent? Definitely, definitely. One of the things that I feel like was prevalent, that was so clear, I mean, happened in 2020 when the COVID peaked and then most, as you said, been to even when they had donated money and equipment to fight against COVID, there were still no PPEs. Even some PPEs that were saying some of them were sold on the side and not used in the hospital that they had um, allocated them to be. And it's just crazy because also that ended up, despite the funding, a lot of physicians ended up leaving the country, the respective African countries to go find like other places, especially the nurses. A lot of them went to Europe because they were not getting appropriate compensation despite all the funding that we're getting. So definitely being careful with those funding makes sense. So my next question was going to be to ask for the solution, but it seems like 
<laughs> you guys are already giving them to me. So that question, I don't need to ask you. If anyone have any other suggestion for the solution, please feel free to add on before we move on to the next part. Um, I kind of have a question. Mm-hmm. Might be informal, so pardon me. Do you guys think there's a lot of uh, monopoly when it comes to who can produce um, what kinds of medication? What I'm trying to say is that uh, the West, not pointing fingers, a lot of developed countries usually want us to buy the medicine from them. And they don't, I mean, if they really wanted to help, I think they would be teaching us how to produce these medications for ourselves rather than, you know, just selling them to us all the time. So I feel like there's a bit of monopoly when it comes to, you know, the whole medicine production part. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, so is the question why well, the question, they don't teach us? Well, the question is, do you guys agree or think that there might be a bit of monopoly when it comes to, you know, uh, that part? I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, if if I was to look at it from their side, right, if I can make all the money, right, without having to have somebody else kind of become like a middleman kind of thing. You know what I mean? Then I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to teach you per se, like to, to do what I do and take money away from me. You know, if I could just do it myself, you know what I mean? But I feel like there is enough information out there for us to do it ourselves. You know, um, I just think like, again, I think like Bintu said, it's not all falling down on like funding, but you know, the government is so corrupt that it's not willing to do certain things. You know what I mean? Like when you have the government answering to um, like the Bill Clintons, you know, then it becomes tough for you to get anything done. You know what I mean? So I think that monopolies is always going to be there until we actually get people like in power that actually care, you know, for the people and seeing like, improvements like throughout the whole continent itself but i mean that's just me i don't want to be like you know a debbie downer or something but like i just i just think that's just like the reality of it a little bit i have one more question if you don't mind (laughs) i mean we can easily point fingers at the government that it's not doing enough to you Mm -hmm. know fund um the medical facilities or doing enough uh, for the medical part uh, for the healthcare part i mean um, we can also point fingers at other countries that are willing to sell us the stuff instead of giving us or teaching us the technology um, on how to produce these things on our own. But how about, let me say, the diaspora, those who are educated, who have the information, why are they not mobilizing, let's say, and coming together since they know, I mean, they have the knowledge and some might even be having the funds, let's say. Why is it that we don't have enough? Should we blame ourselves as Africans for not having enough unity and, you know, to mobilize and create these things on our own? Uh, Um, I just want to say something like, I guess we can go on and on on who to put the blame on to Mm. and we'll get a lot of people. Like it's a long list. Mm. However, that won't take us ahead. And what we Mm. really need to do is figure out why are we here and what can we do to move ahead? And I think, um, Malik, you bring a really good point about Africans in the diaspora. You know what the realities are in the specific countries you're from. You've lived abroad. You know know, the best practices and some of the things that have worked. And we also know some of the things that haven't worked because there's some communities still in developed countries that are marginalized and are not getting their full benefit of living where they are. So we know both sides of the stories. So it's just figuring out what can we do where we are with what we have and using numbers as an advantage. Like how do we collaborate with other people that are have the same vision or have the same plans to improve things? Because at the end of the day, starting a company in these specific African countries has its own challenges. For example, like the government support that you may get maybe if you live in the U.S. as a startup versus some of the huddles you may have to go. We These things exist. 
However, there's workarounds because there's people that are immigrants from other countries that have successful businesses in our respective African countries, and we all know it. So how do we leverage what we know and our numbers so we can benefit from it? And as a result of it, the countries we are from benefit as well. So it's more of like, how do we move ahead knowing what we know? Because what we've done to this point hasn't worked. That's why we're having this conversation. There's a lot, a lot of potential that we're not capturing through you know, value-add products or just instead of importing, like how do we add value and use it? That way we can reduce the product we import. From the receiving end, no matter if it's a developing country or other countries that we're importing from, they won't want that. Like, why would you teach somebody to fish if you can give them one fish every day? But we have to change the narrative and not be okay with this status quo. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. I mean, the thing is, the medic, the drug like um, business infrastructure is there's patents. There are patents that protect their IP. Otherwise, they will make money. Their investors will give them money to develop the drugs. So it makes no sense to Pfizer or Moderna or Johnson & Johnson to tell you their secret sauce. They won't give that to anyone. But the nice thing about patents is that they have a lifespan. So like they expire after maybe 15 to 20 years. And that's what India and China do. They take, you know, those the patents are no longer in place and they can develop um, knockoffs or uh, other, um, you can develop drugs that are not necessarily brand name, but work function just as well. Um, and then they import it for us. So part of that is having the infrastructure to do that and the funding to do that. And the other aspect is research and development because you need to have a strong, solid foundation of R&D to even develop these drugs. And yet we don't see a lot of emphasis put on R&D um, in most of our countries. And maybe part of that is funding. Of course, the NIH in the United States gives a ton more funding to yeah, university-based researchers to do some of this basic science work that ends up becoming drugs that are developed, right? So that's definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration, but also investors, like Bentu said, um, and I think we are heading in the right direction in terms of investments, because I don't know what's the number, Bentu, like just last year, there was billions of dollars given to African startups and um, it was in fintech, but I think people are beginning to be more aware of innovation on the continent and maybe it's tasked with easier to um, fund items, like things that you can really see an easy return on investments like fintech, but hopefully down the road, it gets to more long-term things like drug development and medical device development. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of like being able to make our own drive, um, in the peak of COVID, right, Madagascar was able to make some product that could help relieve the symptoms of COVID. But even though there could have been any investors to do it, other countries, most of the most African countries were skeptical of it. They didn't even support it. So that being another issue that even if the diaspora, we were supportive of it, even I myself, I shared across my social media, I was more than happy that an African country can make something that quick and homemade based. But yet a lot of African president did not support it. And I haven't heard about it anymore because it was shut down. But yet other, obviously like well-known companies like Johnson & Johnson, there's reported a lot of um, poison in their um, vaccine. They still accepted them on the continent. They still accepted the, the ones in either China or Europe that have been reported to cause a lot of blood clots. So there's that issue of the government also being like at the center of the, the problem when it comes to like healthcare system. Uh, when it comes to the uh, the funding, as we're talking, uh, the World Organization was saying that in 2001, African countries agreed to allocate at least 15% of their budget to healthcare. Yet, only 15 years later, 
Only six countries, and this is Botswana, Burkina Faso, Malawi, Niger, Rwanda, and Zambia have made this commitment. So there's still a long way when it comes to funding, because even if you're looking at private sectors to be the one to invest, the government has to play a big role when it comes to public um, healthcare, because most of the time the private are going to come in as private, and a lot of people who are living below the poverty line, they're not going to be able to afford this private advance unless people are doing this um, non-profit organization, healthcare system, maybe that will make sense that they can provide the affordable healthcare. But otherwise, private, they're going to come in wanting to make more money and their medical facilities or anything that is advanced is not going to be able to help those people who are in dire need of proper health care system. Um, if you guys have any other thing to add. Yeah, yeah uh, I wanted to just real quick. I actually didn't even know about that. The vaccine thing. Oh, about Johnson and Johnson getting no, 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 not Johnson and Johnson. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> you um, said you said it was developed. There was one that was developed in. It's what it was not a vaccine. It was um. So they made like plant based um. How do how do you call them? I'm I'm blacking on English. Um, but let's say like syrup. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a treatment. So it was like a syrup. Mm-hmm well packaged in a bottle so you can buy it mm. so that you don't have an issue like oh i don't know what i'm putting in my system it had all the content what you're drinking and um they presented it to the cdc africa um which is i think the quarter the headquarters is in ethiopia or something but a lot of african countries didn't support it or they didn't even try and that was before even the vaccine came out and people were still trying antibiotics to treat viruses or they were trying um, malaria treatment. But even if like Madagascar had proven that this was working, it wasn't a hundred percent like, oh, you're going to, you know, by was being able to relieve the symptom, but a lot of African countries did not support it. Mm. I was just saying there's definitely a lot of, um, overlooked like herbal based medicines on the continent that we don't take seriously that someone else might come in and package differently and so one of my contacts was telling me about um someone who came to um an African country Malawi for Peace Corps and she felt very sick from America and the village gave her moringa syrup or some kind of moringa medication and it healed her and what she did was she came back to the U.S. and formed the company that distributed Moringa medication. And she is a millionaire just now. <laughs> like, you know, she's selling it through Whole Foods, through all natural remedies, no, you know, no preservatives. nothing, And she's making a lot of money. And this oh. is producing Malawi and comes to the U.S., um, so, yeah, there's definitely some undervalued medicines that we could learn from. But then I also think there's also this need to prove that the medications work. And maybe perhaps that's why it failed in Madagascar, because while their president was saying this worked, their COVID cases like quadrupled, um, and yet they were having people take it. So I think people do you know, part of the regulations around medications is first, is it safe? Um, And secondly, is it effective? So you have to make sure it's not, you know, interfering with other systems that might be happening in the body or biological systems, but also make sure that it's actually doing what it's supposed to do. And it's not just throwing money down the drain. And Maybe some other, they could do more R&D. They could have done a clinical study control to show that it was effective. And that should probably probably have been something that African CDC moved closer up. Um, but as of now, I, I don't think I have heard that it was actually effective in preventing um, COVID. Yeah, because the, 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 after they presented it to CDC Africa, I didn't hear any advances. That's the question. And that's why it comes in, like, 
what did the African uh, government try to do in support of it? Because a lot of these um, new medication that we're producing, like especially the ones that were being developed during COVID, it was not enough time to just produce data. You know, it's not like US they can easily have a sample of three thousand out of nowhere. US is well funded and all people like were willingly accepting to do that. But that's where I, I brought in the um, the support of other government. Because then if, let's say, they have different countries and people are willing to, uh, to, to be the ones to be the subject to the research, the clinical testing that you're saying, that would have advanced it. But I didn't see any of that contribution being done. A lot of countries didn't even try to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I just wanted to move back on something what you said about the budget. And I don't exactly know how much Gam- the Gambia government contributes towards the budget. I've read reports and I know it's less than 10%, but I don't really know. And, you know, as I guess I wasn't in Gambia when the elections happened, but I feel like the owners of the, the people, right, that are voting for these elections, elections and these local governments on asking these questions and demanding for something different. So I think we need to try to be a little bit more informed and engaged. There's a lot of talks around, you know, democracy and corruption in African countries. However, we can't feel defeated. Like we can't just say, you know, this is just the way it is and like we're okay with it. Like what are you doing differently? Like people that are there, how many there's been a lot of organizations I know in Gambia involved in like youth being a little bit more active in elections, either running or mobilizing around a party that they know have certain plans and you can hold them accountable to these plans. So I think, you know, we, you know, we all know the problems. It's like, what are we doing? Like, what can you do? Right. And like, how can you leverage the numbers on, you know, asking something different and expecting them to do it or holding them accountable? Right. Mm-hmm. So it's but then I know it's it's just specifically Gambia, it's a small country. So it ends up, you know, like you can't do certain things like you can't hold a certain doctor accountable to their mistakes because they're your neighbor's classmate and you don't want to put them in trouble. So there's there's this camaraderie that affects people's credibility or even accountable if other things happen. So I feel like I have a lot of hope in the youth and I have a lot of hope in actually people that are both in the country, but also in the diaspora that plan on going home or even like using their own expertise to, you know, mobilize and do something different. Because if we don't, it's not going to change, unfortunately. Exactly. And that brings us to the second part, because one of the things we're talking being an issue when it comes to healthcare system is lack of updated technology. And uh, we say that the diaspora had to play a part on it. And now we have gap health with us, right? So you guys are part of the solution to the, um, the issues that we're talking about. So I'm gonna ask both of you to kind of remind people about your name, give, give us a little bit back, uh, information about your background and your position in gap health tech. Okay, I guess yeah, I yeah. can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, hi. So uh, my name is Mercy Isiedu, a co-founder and co-CEO of Gap Health. And I, you know, was really motivated to work on this based on a the lack of data for understanding healthcare and chronic conditions um, back home, focusing on diabetes, and given the rise of machine learning and AI in healthcare, I felt like this was really important to have a data included, but also um, the lack of access to care for people with chronic conditions. My mother also has diabetes and, you know, has to drive like an hour or two to see her specialist. She doesn't have to go as far to another country, but it's still pretty challenging. My name is Bai Bintikaira and Malto Messi's co-founder and co-CEO of Gap Health. Gap Health, I guess in summary, is tailored is set up to design technology to increase health outcomes in Africa. And how we're doing it to start with is having an app-based platform 
where it gives providers access to patients, so able to conduct telemedicine, but also enables them to store medical records. So it's, um, and it's different from traditional EHR because it's accessible and you can just use it on your phone. So it provides that benefit to the patients to be able to access providers um, outside of their own vicinity, but also access their medical records. And within this app, there's also like a care management platform where the patient, I, I use it myself, can set certain reminders on when to take their medication, but also tracking it. And with all of this information, we're trying to better understand how diseases, specifically diabetes to start with, is ma- manifest in Africa and some of the points that Mercy had talked about. The reason why I'm really interested in working on this is from my own personal experience. My mom suffered with diabetes for the later part of my adulthood, and we actually lost her to diabetes complication in 2014. So it was more of, I wanted to do something different. And through her care, we really struggled with managing her diabetes on keeping track of her medical condition or what her recommendations are. And Mercy and I had connected because of our shared passion and vision to see something different and also tailoring it to Africa. So we're not really trying to replicate something that worked really well in the US or wherever the country may be, but it's more of like, what do we need? So we went really to this drawing board and going with the basics. Like, what do we, where do we want to head to where we are and how do we get there in the simplest way? So, yeah. Wow. Well, no, this is really interesting because as you say, like having a medical record is very important because I remember when I first came here, all my medical record, they, they started asking me about my medical record since I was young. I was like, I don't know anything. Because um, healthcare, health-wise, I do have asthma condition. So there's a lot of cases where I saw different physician, but I, I couldn't remember what they told me, especially, you know, doctors with their squiggly lines. You never know what they're writing. <laughs> and when you reach back home, most of the time, everything is paper-based. Sometimes they lose them and there's no way to keep track of um, medication, his, medical history, medication they're supposed to be taking. And as you guys said, like preventative medicine is key important because I do believe in prevention before cure, you know, and um, having your medical record history will better serve for um, the prevention uh, system when it comes to that. But what, what areas are you guys working in or like what African countries that have you so far been successfully started working in? So we started in Ghana and Gambia. Um, to start with. So in Ghana, we have a partner that we are doing a pilot study with in Kumasi. It's called Poku Transport Clinic. Um, and we are really starting in these countries because that's where we have connections. And that's where, like, we know people, we kind of understand the environment and we can talk to people, but we definitely want to expand to other countries once we are done with those initial target markets. So it's in Ghana. We are actually onboarding customers also in Ghana, and we have interested customers in Gambia. Um, So I guess that's the short answer to your question. in long term, in the long term, we really want to see this being something that's run across um, the continent. That's amazing because I was going to be like, when are you coming to East Africa? Because if you do, on a side note, just consider me. <laughs> but um, what are some challenges have you guys, I mean, faced so far? Because I know establishing a company itself is already like a headache. I can't imagine now trying to bring in like this new innovation and you trying to operate in different countries. Yeah. So there's like specific challenges that are with all startups, right? So as you'd mentioned, starting a company is challenging in itself. That's why not everybody does it. And even people that do it, the success rate is quite low because of that. So specific specific challenges, which are general to startup is, you know, making sure that your idea. So it's an idea till somebody uses it and pays for it or gives you the value in exchange. So 
a challenge all startups have is, you know, testing your hypothesis and getting the value that you expect to get out of it, right? So, and then to do that, it comes with the people that need you need to get that done. It comes with the finances of like being having access to capital and the specific challenges of having a startup in Africa, which adds this additional layer of, of finance challenges because most, let's say, for example, VCs or specific grants that you may be able to apply in certain countries, they know what's going on. So they know if you tell them, you know, it's going to be happening in, in North Carolina, they have like a general understanding of what that is, but they don't understand the specifics of like Ghana. So that's an additional risk to them to be able to do that. However, we also see that there's a lot of successful startups that are coming in, like Flutterway being, you know, the highest valued company now, still in fintech, but still the fact that they can see that and know, you know, Africans too run businesses <laughs> successfully, um, it creates that, you know, added reputation. Another thing I would say is just managing different stakeholders. So not just the customers, but also sometimes like the medical professional that you plan to work with. There's also like the government if you need to implement something, but also not being there physically has its own um, challenges to that. So those would be, I guess, the main three buckets that I would say on like starting a business. And I also added the factors of starting a business in Africa. Mercy, was there something you had I think you definitely hit that nail on the head. Like, okay. awesome. And uh, I mean, Gap Health, um, the app itself, right? Do we, is it free? Or when it comes to it, one of the challenging issues in Africa is having a network. Um, is it something that you need to be online to be able to access? the information, how does it work? Yeah, so I guess um, we've seen this growth in smartphone penetration, in mobile phone penetration, smartphone penetration across the continent. Mm -hmm. And the data is also growing, right? Um, everyone uses WhatsApp, WhatsApp runs on data. <laughs> so we are quite, with that in mind, we are hoping that the limitations will be less, but we are also being very realistic that yeah, this will primarily be limited to people who can who do have smartphones. While we are trying to build up a more um, analog version that could work on non-smartphone devices, so you need smart. You, you do need a smartphone. You do need data, but you don't need Wi-Fi and you don't need computers, which current EHRs need. So this is more at your fingertips. Um, if you need to store your information, for instance, um, you don't need data to do that. You just upload the information, it's saved, and whenever you're connected to internet, it's stored in the cloud. Um, but of course, when you need to contact health providers or do telehealth, you definitely need internet connection, whether that's data or Wi-Fi. So that's where it currently is. Does that answer your question in terms of the data usage? Oh. Yeah, I was asking. So, so some apps you have to pay to download them. And also uh, just a follow-up, can you access it on on both iOS and Android? Like what is it? You can what? access it on both iOS and Android. So a lot a lot of people who make apps for Africa from the US, right, will make it for Android because that's mm -hmm. where people use. But a lot of people actually use iOS on the continent. So yeah. From our perspective, it's important to target both. So we did it for both iOS and Android. And some of the doctors we work with use um, Android, some use iOS. In terms of payments, no, you do not need to pay to download the app. The patient doesn't need to pay to upload um, their information. They only pay the doctor's consultation fee. So when the doctor, you speak to a doctor, you pay the doctor for their fee. You'd have done that in a hospital. Mm -hmm. and of course, we'd want to integrate with the national health insurance that, for instance, Ghana has. On the other end, the doctors do need to pay to use the app in various mm -hmm. ways, or the clinic will need to pay to use the app. So the clinics can subscribe to us because we need to be sustainable so we can mm -hmm. keep moving the app and keep it alive and then the doctors can also choose to subscribe as part of their clinic if they don't want to subscribe as part of their clinics they can do it individually we see a lot of doctors do that where they have their 
public work and then their own private work. So this could be like private service in the mm-hmm. clinic. And then if they didn't want to subscribe, we also have a pay-as-you-go system where they'll just not subscribe, but you know, every time they have a transaction, we will take like a percentage. Mm, that's that's good. I mean, because in the end, um, clinical facilities anyway cost a lot of money. It's a lot of maintenance that goes in. You have to pay the light. You have to pay different things. So yeah, it does make sense that that's another option that is out there for doctors and um, hospitals to explore. And hopefully, the government can you know, <laughs> make it like something that most of the uh, hospitals can subscribe to. Because I know a lot of, um, even in the U.S., if you look at like uh, hospital, like people who are living in underserved communities, especially some of them who are living way too far from their hospitals, they're not, they're not able to go to the hospital directly. That is something that can serve them. Especially in Africa, I will talk an example like in my country, it's a very mountainous country. And a lot of, let's say ambulances, they have issues even going in, or um, even doctors don't wanna travel all the way like down the hill or climb up the hill to be able to offer something that is able to that you can easily be able to like diagnose on the phone and everything so i do like commend you guys on this um it's an amazing thing that you guys are doing and nothing it makes it better like looking at two african women like leading it like it inspires a lot of african women who's gonna be like watching what you guys are doing yeah i mean um i just wanted to kind of echo what benny was saying you know i think um i think this is something that's needed um so for you guys to be doing this i you know you guys deserve your flowers right now early on i know this is going to be very very successful i did have one question though because this i guess you guys are managing it from the states how often do you travel back and forth so there's been a challenge with traveling, as we all know, because of COVID. Right. So we have definitely leveraged technology to help, you know, continue right. managing the people that we have working there. However, with the growth phase that we're in, because most of the work to this point has been trying to build the product. Now, as we Mercy had mentioned, we have like a pilot test going on. Mm. And soon after, it's more like customers, like people using it. So we do want to be going frequently. Um, that way we provide additional support to the gap help team that actually would be on the ground in the specific countries that we're in in order to serve them. So in terms of timelines, um, we do plan on going sometime mid of this year, just because of, you know, the pilot phase would have been close to wrapping up and we can provide that support. And hopefully depending on what's going on with like our funding and opportunities, we're able to transition and do gap more of gap health than we're doing now um but i was just going to say that to your point about traveling it is very important to have people on the ground and so one of the first things we've done is hire a software developer who is based in ghana and a program coordinator in ghana so for instance the program coordinator goes to the clinics the software developer really understands what's going on um, in terms of apps app development in the country yeah Oh, well, uh, I know. Yeah, I was just going to say, I know Malik had a question. So while on the topic of uh, funding, do you guys plan on going public at any point or do you just want to keep it as, you know, uh, with private investors? Because I mean, this, the African stock market is kind of growing. So do you guys ever plan on going public? I can I can start at this. So we had talked about, you know, what do we plan on doing like long term? And we have centered it around the mission of, you know, why we even started this, right? Because I know it always gets attractive on, you know, what your exit exit strategy is. We've had like people ask us, especially now we're currently doing a friends and family investment round. So we've had this question and there's a few different options where you work on your company, you grow it and you're able to serve the people that you wanted to serve at the first place and get a buyout from a bigger company. And that 
they're able to expand it even further or you can go public. So we haven't been one way or the other. It's just more of like focusing on why we started. Like are we able to still get the data to be able to do research in Africa because we know there's that gap and is this opportunity going to get us there quicker? Yeah, um, you know, I am interested. So if you, if you guys are... <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm being very, very serious. I am very interested. Um, I do know uh, a couple of people. Um, one of my friends I went to school with, he's big on um startups. Uh, another one, he works for Google. I think he's like software development or something like that. So, you know, I'll definitely let them know. Um, but you know, let us know if you guys are planning to go public. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll throw down right now. <laughs> we can <laughs> we get this thing going, but. But yeah, uh, honestly, like truly speaking, like, um, you know, I'm big on seeing black women, you know, doing amazing things. You know, I have I was raised by black women. So like seeing stuff like this, I think is uh, is really, really important, you know, in terms of like representation. So this is really, really cool. I know for sure you guys are going to be very, very successful. So I'm glad, you know, I'll pull out this video one day and say we was here <laughs> we was able to talk to you guys right here you know what i mean so but um again uh just to thank gap health for being here with us today yeah no thank you for having us and it's been a pleasure chatting with you if, especially at the beginning of the podcast it's always nice to share <laughs> my big opinions that i have about different things so thank you yeah um so real quick also, uh, just wanted to remind everybody to make sure that you're following us on all our social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, www.nextupafrica.net. <laughs> but yes, also make sure you guys are following Gap Health too on uh, all the social media platforms. Um, you guys are looking at the next big thing in Africa. So uh, making sure that everybody continues to listens to the episode share uh if you're listening on apple uh make sure you're giving us five stars nothing less otherwise just keep it to yourself um <laughs> now for the song of the day today's song of the day is you can do the old man <laughs> a little bit more <laughs> what did you do? oh you need more what do you need no. you can just name and Oh, you can just say yes uh, from Senegal. No, no, I just, no, I wanted like a little bit more, you know, life in the name of the song. (laughs) More life. Okay, we can try again. (laughs) Cool. Uh, So today's song of the day is coming from Senegal. And uh, today's song of the day is Gorgi by Yusindur. Ah, that was perfect. Do you see the life in that? So, like, I felt that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, thank you guys for joining us today. Um, we appreciate it. And um, hope to see you guys back on here sometime down the line. Hopefully you guys don't get, you know, too, too big for us to reach out to. <laughs> but yeah, um, as always, though, until next time, 